Good evening. It's six o'clock and you are listening to Community Radio, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm Claudio Mendonça and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Tonight, after the California report and regional weather, we dedicate the bulk of our newscast to the topic of the Idaho-Maryland mine. The Nevada County Planning Commission is convening Thursday morning at 9.30 for a special meeting where the public will be able to express their concerns about the project. First, Felton Pruitt talks with Mike Shea, a volunteer with Mine Watch, a group that opposes the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine. Then, I'll speak with Ben Mossman, CEO of Rise Gold Corporation, to get his responses to some of the criticism. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from Fresno. As the U.S. Senate considers the nomination of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson to be the first black female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, a panel in San Francisco has voted to confirm appeal court justice Patricia Guerrero to become the first Latina member on the California Supreme Court. KQED's Scott Schaefer reports. Unlike the partisan sniping in D.C., this confirmation was a virtual love fest. Or, as Chief Justice Tani Cantil Saka'ue described it, A joyous type of hearing. Those who testified on Guerrero's behalf emphasized her judgment, intellect, and collegiality. Without a single tough question, the three-member panel unanimously confirmed Justice Guerrero, who then thanked her immigrant family who came from Mexico. I stand on the shoulders of my grandparents and my parents who came to this country even though it would be a struggle for them. Justice Guerrero fills the state Supreme Court seat left vacant by Tino Cuellar, who left to head the Carnegie Foundation. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Two major California bail bond service providers are set to be hit with proposed class action lawsuits today, according to court documents exclusively provided to KQED. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the story. The filings name two of the largest bail bonds agents in California, Aladdin Bail Bonds and All Pro Bail Bonds, and seek restitution for people who've co-signed bail bond contracts without getting notices that make clear what that obligation entails. Yaman Salahi is a partner with Edelson PC in San Francisco, the firm behind the proposed class actions. And those notices would have explained to people the consequences of co-signing including that the bail bond companies could come after them uh, for the balance of those loans, uh, even without going to the person who had been arrested first, that it could affect their credit reports, that they could be sued, that their wages could be garnished. Bail bonds companies have asserted in the past that they aren't legally obligated to provide this documentation. But a 2021 court decision confirmed they are. Salahi sees this issue as just a microcosm of a larger flawed system. These lawsuits are just one piece of a broader effort to scrutinize this industry as well as the practice of cash bail and hopefully change things so that we are in a more equitable um, situation when it comes to the criminal justice system in California. Neither the American Bail Coalition nor the California Bail Agents Association returned request for comment. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harbin. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has many of us asking what we can do to help. KCLU's Caroline Faraday reports on a couple in L.A. who are hosting a Ukrainian woman who fled her home in Kiev. 
An Uber is pulling up on the driveway of the Southern California home of Janadi Karasev and Heather Wall. You made it! Welcome. They'd never met the passenger who's coming to stay in their home before. So glad you made it. But until last month, oh she had her own home in Kiev, Ukraine. Is that all you've got? Is that all, you. the only bag yes. you've got? Yes. Now, a small yellow oh carry-on-sized bag is all she has with her from her life there. Gennady and Heather signed up on a website to host those fleeing the Russian invasion of Ukraine in their own home. Heather is expecting their second baby. Oh, and Gennady, he's Russian. My family's there. I have a lot of friends back home. And it's a conflict that probably is going to affect the relationship between Ukraine and Russia and Russia and the rest of the world probably for generations to come. His aunt in particular has family and friends in Ukraine. She was very distressed watching the news, seeing everything unfold, listening to them talking about how it affected them as neighbouring countries, as people, they see themselves as the same. It just made me feel more like I had to do something to help if I, if I could, if there was anything that we could do. It's a perilous journey, which has taken Evgenia across four countries. She's too frightened to give her last name because her father is in the military in Ukraine and she fears recriminations. 6.30 in the morning, we grab a very little, I got one yellow bag, three girls, his mom, me, Vika, three cats. We passed some way of the Zhutomirsky Highway and then the bridge behind us were bombed. Yeah, we passed a few kilometres, stopped and we all went down from car and we were smoking at least, I think, five or ten minutes, just in quiet, just smoking, sitting, understanding that there is no way back for us. Until last month, Evgenia had a job in finance, a home, a cat, and lived walking distance from her mother. Her parents have remained in Ukraine. I feel kind of guilty because I'm here, I'm, I'm safe. And mostly my friends who are safe now, they also had that feeling of guilty because, because we are safe. I still can't believe that. I still think it's like some kind of nightmare. And I will, I will wake up one day and it will be oh, just bad dream. She hasn't travelled as a refugee. She had a visa which was still valid from a previous trip to the United States. I got an education. I'm, I'm not bad financial worker and I think I don't need any donations or kind of that. I will try to do something without uh, this status because this status is more needed for people who are really, really struggling, who don't have anything and maybe kids on, on their arms. Evgenia wells up with tears as she describes the warm welcome she's had from her Russian host. She says her view of Russians has been changed by meeting Gennady. It's very brave. And I met them. I, and they're helping so much. They... Uh, give me a second. Their attitude to me and their help, the way they treated me, it seems like a world turning into something new, you know? It seems like... It's a miracle. For the California Report, I'm Caroline Faraday in Woodland Hills. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. Paint care. 
Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that's the California Report for today, Wednesday, March 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Here's a look at regional weather. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 51. Thursday, sunny with a high near 76. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 34 degrees. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 64. And for Sacramento, Woodland, and the surrounding region, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 51 degrees. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 82. Tonight, we dedicate the bulk of our newscast to the topic of the Idaho-Maryland mine. First up, Felton Pruitt talks with a volunteer with Mine Watch, a group that opposes the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine. We're talking with Mike Shea. He's a volunteer with Mine Watch, the community organization that's opposed to Rise Gold's desire to reopen the Idaho-Maryland mine. Mike, thank you for talking with us. Yeah. This past weekend, you guys had petitions out all over the county for people to sign to oppose the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine. Let's talk first about the petition that you guys handed out. The petitions are directed to the Board of Supervisors. So this Thursday, we'll be presenting what we see as the flaws in the draft environmental impact report. That's the draft environmental impact report. It's been circulated by the Idaho-Maryland Mine Project. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. The draft environmental impact report was based on technical studies that were paid for by Risegold. So and just like tobacco companies paying for studies that show smoking doesn't cause cancer or the oil industry paying for studies saying that there is no such thing as global warming, the Risegold studies were not objective, in my opinion, and were biased towards favoring the mine. And because the county has not paid to have any environmental studies or technical studies done, I mean, there's, there's subjects such as noise, hydrology, the impact the mine would have on wells, air quality, and greenhouse gas emissions. The county would just accept what RISE is submitting. So it's up to us concerned citizens to point out the deficiencies in the draft environmental impact report and the studies that draft EIR is based on. So I would assume that the community would then need to come up with some money to form their own environmental impact report. Well, that would be nice, but um, unlike Risegold, who has you know large dollar investors, we're just a grassroots organization. You know, we get some grants, and the rest of the money we get is just based on donations. So we can't afford really to hire a large group of people to prepare a draft environmental impact report. We have hired some subject matter experts to look at things like noise and air quality and and water. We just can't do a full-blown study like Grise did. So whose job is it to evaluate the environmental impact report? Would that be the planning commissions then? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then they spend the money to check out things. Well, yeah, but they're not going to do that. I mean, I th- they're going to just look at what RISE submitted, 
look at you know, what comments we have, and then they're going to determine whether they think the EIR is adequate or not. And our hope is is that they will find that it's not adequate, that when they look at everything that we show, they'll see that the, the EIR is deficient, and they'll ask RISE to redo the technical studies and then have another environmental impact report prepared. That's our hope anyway. Can you talk about some of the reasons that the community environmental advocates oppose the opening of the Idaho-Maryland mine? Yeah, sure. So things like air quality is a big one, that the mine would have a drastic impact on the air quality of not only Nevada County, but really the world, because the greenhouse gas that they would emit, you know, it's not going to just stay in Nevada County. It's going to affect everybody. I believe in global warming, and I can't see putting all this greenhouse gas into the air to extract gold, which is going to mainly be used to, for investment purposes, for jewelry, and a small amount for electronics. So it's not a strategic metal that's needed. It's just more of a vanity thing. And there's no point in emitting all this greenhouse gas so somebody can wear some jewelry or a wealthy investor can buy some gold coins. Another big impact would be on wells. So the mine, if it gets approved, they have to dewater the existing mine shafts and then pump out over a million gallons a day to keep the mine from flooding again. And Rise is claiming that really the only wells that are going to be affected are on East Bennett. But we believe that there are going to be a lot of wells affected. In fact, when MGold had a hydrology study prepared, when they were trying to reopen the mine, they found that about 100 wells would be affected. So you know, there's a huge disparity between what Rise Gold's hydrologists found and what the MGold hydrologists found. And we'll wait for the planning commission meeting to show what our hydrology study found. Another issue is noise, that the noise the mine would produce would impact us nearby neighbors. So I'll just leave it at that. The meeting is coming up this Thursday, 9.30 a.m. at the planning commissioning department over there in the Rood Center. I guess you guys are asking folks to meet in the parking lot around 9 to get ready for the meeting. The website is minewatchnc.org. We've been talking with Mike Shea. He's a volunteer for MineWatch, the community environmental advocates opposing the Idaho-Maryland mine. Thank you for your time, Mike. Thank you. This afternoon, I spoke with Ben Mossman, the CEO of Rise Gold Corporation, the company that's hoping to reopen the Idaho-Maryland mine. What follows is a very short excerpt of our conversation. Mr. Mossman, Climate change is on the minds of many people who live in this area. The DEIR, the Draft Environmental Impact Report, says that the mine would emit up to 9,000 metric tons of greenhouse gases every year. How does your company plan to mitigate that? Uh, So there's two parts of the greenhouse gas analysis. One, during construction, and then during operations. For the construction missions, is to buy uh, carbon credits. So there's some carbon credits that would have to be purchased for the construction to mitigate that impact. And then for the operations, the threshold um, of 10,000 tons per year, it falls below that threshold that the county has um, uh, adopted for the purpose of the EIR. And so those uh, emissions are less than significant. If you consider... um, this, this mine uh, in relation to other gold mines because its underground mine historically has had a higher concentration of gold, a higher grade. It's actually um, much less carbon uh, emissions 
on a per ounce produced basis than uh, virtually all other gold mines. And then if you look on it uh, from a GDP basis, it's about half of an of the uh, emissions carbon emissions per million dollars GDP uh, versus the California average. So it's very favorable uh, in any comparison and less than the threshold of significance um, for Nevada County that Nevada County is adopted for the purpose of the EIR. I hear a lot of people talking about their concerns to the impacts to our local watershed. The Idaho Maryland mine would have to be dewatered and a mine bending amount of water will have to be pumped out. Where is that water going? <clears throat> so the water that's um, in the mine, so there's water that uh, is in the mine right now and all the existing tunnels. That's about a thousand acre feet. And then water flows into the mine continuously um, from the joints in the rock. So about a thousand acre feet per year. And so that water would be pumped from the mine uh, initially to dewater the mine and then to maintain it in a dewatered state. And that would be discharged to uh, what they call South Fork of Wolf Creek on our property. That creek flows down uh, towards the city of Grass Valley and eventually goes underground where it joins up with the main Wolf Creek. And then uh, south of the city, uh, you know, flows back uh, to surface from their existing culverts. And so that's the, uh, that's the waterways that it's placed. That water is treated. Uh, if you look at the quantity, uh, there's extensive uh, work being done uh, to show that it does not cause uh, sediment or erosion concerns with that creek. There is no um, biological impact to that creek. Staying with dewatering and potential consequences of dewatering, how do you respond to people that claim that by dewatering the mine, rise could potentially impact the surrounding drinking water wells? <clears throat> so this um, obviously is an issue that's important and has to be studied. Uh, and a lot of detail and a lot of thought being put into it. And so uh, I guess there's two aspects to that. First of all, um, when you dewater the mine, because the water is flowing into the mine, you cannot impact the water quality of, of someone's well because essentially the mine is downstream of where their well is. So their well is drilled in the first 200 feet or so uh, of surface, and the mine is um, runs from surface all the way down to at present 3,400 feet below surface. So, so it's downstream. The pumping of that water cannot affect the water quality in the in their wells, and so that is uh, also incorporated into the county DIR. Um, so they they can look at that. Uh, the other part is concerned: how would the dewatering of the mine affect uh, the use of people's wells? And so. Uh, I think the most important thing to understand is that the wells, that uh, domestic uh, groundwater wells draw their water from near surface, so the first few hundred feet, and the ground is more fractured and weathered near surface. As you get deeper, the jointing becomes um, less, the joints become tighter due to the weight of the earth above it, and so it becomes um, less permeable with depth. And so Mining that depth in an impermeable uh, rock does not affect the uh, the strata that uh, you know the different the near surface 
rock that people are drawing the water from. So that that's an important thing to understand about it, that it's hard rock. Um, there is an area above the mine uh, on East Bennett where they, the county has determined that um, using a safety factor of 100% up to seven wells could be affected. And that doesn't mean that the wells are drained. It just means the water column may be reduced. And so um, they use that uh, criteria. They determine that seven wells may be affected in the East Bennett area. And so we would install uh, an extension of the NID potable water line down East Bennett Road and, and not only um, hook up those seven properties, but all 30 properties that are along the, the East Bennett Road. I've been speaking with Ben Mossman. He's the CEO of Rise Gold Corporation. Mr. Mossman, thank you very much for your time today. All right, thanks a lot. The Nevada County Planning Commission is convening Thursday morning at 9.30 at the Rood Center for a special meeting where citizens can share their opinions about the Idaho-Maryland mine project. Head on over to our website, kvmr.org, where you can listen to the full versions of both Felton's interview with Mike Shea and my interview with Ben Mossman. And that's our newscast for this evening, Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. KVMR gets support from listeners just like you and from Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com and Sierra View Medical Eye Incorporated, serving Nevada County's eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye. On Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, svme2020.com. Don't touch that dial. Coming up next, it's the sages among us. Tonight, host Brian Buckley will interview Nevada County retired judge Frank Francis. Then, at 7 o'clock, it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening to the news on your local independent radio station. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening, and we'll see you right here for tomorrow's KVMR Evening News. (laughs) 